We have been uh, working through our series on uh, Colossians, and um, we are right now in uh, chapter 3 of Colossians, and we have really decided to, as a church, uh, spend some uh, real individual time on some of the real key passages that Paul is calling this young church into. Um, these pa- the passage that we're going to deal with today um, is, uh, is not fun. Uh, and I, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, I don't know um, to, in many ways if a lot of the scripture is fun. <laughs> I mean, in the sense that it's serious. It takes us to places that a lot of times we don't like to go. I know I don't like to go. And um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I was uh, talking with somebody this last week, and, and they were um, just talking about a sermon and about, about the church. And, and uh, we somehow popped on the topic of what is a good sermon, you know? And uh, many times I think what, uh, many, what many people think a good sermon is and what I think a good sermon is is very, very different. I think a lot of times uh, people think a good sermon is when we can sometimes walk out of this building feeling just absolutely phenomenal about ourselves uh, and uh, feel great about our world and our Lord and we're ready to just charge up and go for it, you know. And uh, I'm not necessarily so sure that that's what a good sermon is. I hope it has some of those parts in it, but many times a good sermon, I I think provokes more questions and maybe will give us uh, all the answers that we're looking for. And maybe those questions are very good for us to be dealing with before our God, even in this next week. And I guarantee you that the topic that we're talking about today uh, is one. And we have stumbled here in today on uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, or let's read actually uh, verse uh, 5. We'll start at verse 5, but we're going to deal with 6. Look what it says here. Paul is getting down to talking with this young community about what it actually means to live for Jesus to actually be a disciple of Christ. And he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, verse six, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. (laughs) And in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Let's talk about this today a little bit, the wrath of God. The worst thing possible for me to deal with as a young man was my father's wrath. Um, I was so oftentimes very incorrigible, as I know that probably many of you were, but my father, uh, to get my father angry at me um, was, uh, well, it was, it was uh, sometimes painful. Um, especially as a young man, my father believed in spanking on steroids, and um, and so we I received many of those as as a as a young man, and uh, but my my father's wrath as I got older, the worst thing that could ever take place as it related to my father's anger towards me was if my father ever looked at me and said something like this, you know, Joel, you um, I really wanted to talk with you about. Um, uh, you know, you uh, making out in the driveway with that girl the other night when I, uh, w- you know, came home and I saw you and, you know, you, you, you kind of, you came in the door and I kind of let that go. And so th- this was the next day and he looks at me and, and he says, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just kind of hurt. And I went, oh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I would have much rather you have looked at me and said, 
I'm bringing the hellfire and brimstone on you today, young man. You are, you know, you're not supposed to be making out with your girl in our driveway. You know, that's not what a pastor's son's supposed to be doing. This is the parsonage. You know, when we lived in the parsonage, it was what I called the aquarium. And we lived, because we lived in this box with windows in it, and everybody got to come by and see if my dad and mom were drinking a beer or smoking a cigarette or whatever it was, you know. It was a miserable existence. <laughs> and, um, but to face my father's wrath in so many of its different ways was very difficult for me to face. But I will tell you this, that, that to face it was, was absolutely the best thing for me. And when we, uh, and today as I, as I wanted to kind of treat this subject, I want us to make sure that we, you hear that intro from me because it's a really important piece of understanding who God is and how he relates to his children as it relates to his wrath. And it's not going to be necessarily a, a popular subject. There's many images that arise and when we think about God's wrath, we talk about God's wrath, some of us maybe have been raised in a tradition where a pastor gets up and really brings it down. You know, hellfire, brimstone, God's wrath, God's mad at his people. Pat Robertson really got everybody up in a, arms a few weeks ago when he said, you know, God's, you know, Haiti was God's wrath. You know, God's, God showed his wrath when he put an earthquake on Haiti, and I'd really like to tell Pat to shut his mouth a lot of times and to stop speaking on behalf of the Lord. Okay, um, the Lord speaks adequately in his scriptures about his wrath. And all you have to do is look in the word to find out what, what righteous indignation and anger the Lord has about the world and about us and about the people who do not know him. It's very clear, and it's a subject that he doesn't, um, the Lord's not, doesn't, he's not interested in hiding it from us. He, he just talks about it. This is, this is kind of what it is. So my first subject today that I wanted to share with you a little bit about is something that I've been dealing with and, and maybe I think we all deal with a little bit, and it's this. In order for us to understand this subject, as, as it says there in verse 6 when it says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming, one of the things I, I want us to understand is that the Bible gives us here, when you begin to look in the scriptures, the Bible really interprets for us this this, line, this sentence here is what you're going to get when you go into the Bible and you begin to study and you begin to see this is the God who is. This is the God who is. Okay? Um, now, our, you, we live in a culture that says this is what your God is like. You have traditions that say this is what your God is like. Many of you who have all, we have all kinds of different traditions here, but those traditions have basically said this is what your God is like. Well, we, we need to be able to, I guess, to, and, and you've heard me say this before, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to what the Word of God says, the Bible, the Word of God says what God is and how he functions. And so today we stumble upon a scripture that says that the wrath of God is coming. So we're actually dealing with the God that has wrath. Do you follow that? But I want to talk to you today a little bit before I get into the wrath piece. I want to talk to you about the God who is. The God who is. R.C. Sproul is uh, one of my favorite theologians. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, if, if, you, if you've never listened to him, you need to go to a, a, a website called ligonier.org, and you can listen to many of his lectures. The lecture that I listened to this last week on Romans chapter 1 was possibly the finest I've ever heard in my life. It's a sermon on the holiness of God in Romans 1. 
really encourage you to go to it. But he says this, when, he talk, when we talk about this subject of the God who is, he says, the most fundamental and foundational sin in our fallen and corrupt nature is the sin of idolatry. It's the sin of idolatry, which basically means, and Paul refers to idolatry there at the end of chapter five, which basically means, follow this now, the refusal to honor God as he is. The refusal to honor God as he is. We, in our society, have stripped God of his attributes, and we've actually turned the whole thing around and have turned God, and we've made God in our image. We've made God, especially, uh, well, I think a lot of us, we make God into a God of love and mercy, and that's all he is. And that's all we want him to be, many of us here today. We've walked in here, a lot of us, 80% easy, have walked in here today that are very hurting people. We have some things going on in our lives right now that we, we we don't have answers for. We're struggling. We don't know our future. We're hurting from our past. And even today, we may not, many of us feel we may not even make it through. And what we want today is we want a God who says, listen, Grace, mercy, love. And God is a, great, a God of grace, mercy, and love. Don't get me wrong. But God is much more than that. And I prayed with a brother this last week on the phone who, shared, who began to share the, the struggles of his life with me on the phone. And he said, he said, would you pray for me? And I said, sure, I'll pray for you. And I don't know what, where this came from other than, the, than, than the, I just felt the Lord wanted me to pray. Lord, I pray that you will give this brother what he needs and not what he wants. And that prayer is a prayer to the God who is. It's a God, you are God, and you're going to do for your children what you're going to do. And we submit to you as being the God who is. Because a lot of times I find that the very thing that I want, even the very thing that I may think I need, isn't the thing that God is going to bring me. And that's hard. Isn't that hard for us? But what I could do is I can actually sabotage some of the Lord's influence in my life because my needs and what I feel that I want have to come in a certain way or by a certain conduit. And when they don't come that way, then I give God the finger. It's true. In Exodus 20, it says this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes and the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And uh, I would have to confess to you today that that's a lot of my life that I stand, I think, on the perimeter of what God could or wants to do because I'm standing far off because I'm afraid of what God could actually do because what I really believe at the deepest, darkest self is that, God, if you do it, you're going to mess it up. If you do it, you're going to have to take me somewhere that I don't want to go. If you do it, if you step in, then you're going to actually make me walk up to my wife and in a heap start crying and apologizing for my stupid behavior if you do it. 
and I'm too prideful for that. So I'm going to stand far off, or I'm going to be like the children of Israel that say, I don't want God to do it, but Moses, you speak to me. Right? Have we turned God into a God that we can live with? All of us here have terrible stories of bad roommates, don't we? People who are messy and stinky, don't do their laundry, actually come and steal our beer. <laughs> steal our clothes. Girls are big on clothes, you know. They borrow each other's clothes. Guys don't do that, it's just not something they do, you know. They don't walk up to their friends and go, hey dude, can I wear your jeans tonight? <laughs> Good grief, it's so out of. <laughs> girls don't even have to ask, they just steal them. You know, my, my girls, every other day we're in some conversation about the girls stealing shoes or whatever it is, you know. Sometimes I think that as we've looked at God and we look at him as kind of our roommate, and, kind of say, you're a God who we, can, who we can live with, who we can be comfortable with. We're, you're a God who would never possibly allow the pain and the suffering going on in my life right now. Be very careful, my friends, because today you probably are facing some pain and some suffering and some confusion, and be very careful to, ab to say to the Lord, that's not what you have for me. It may be the very thing the Lord has for you today. The question would be, God, what, if that's the truth, what would you try, what would you be teaching me with that pain? What would you, how would you want to be revealing to me a little bit more of who, you're, who you are and what you want to do in my life in the actual pain and suffering? What's going on? Many of us get so focused on it, the pain is so hurting and so acute that we forget the fact that maybe God has that pain there for a reason. And many times the reason is, is to humble us and to get us to start asking the better question than the worse question. What's the better question? Lord, who are you in this? I'm your son and daughter. What truth, what, what thing do you want me to, to feel and know and grasp onto in the midst of this? You see? But if we come to the place where we've tamed God, when we say, my God is a God of love, well, God has much more to say. The Bible has much more to say about the Lord. The question is, are we interested in hearing it? For me, I think I've developed a kind of a, a pick-and-choose mentality when it comes to God. It's actually like a buffet. And when we walk down the buffet, there's things that we want to eat, and there's things that we don't want to eat. And there's certain things that we want to eat that we want to pile high. And there's other things that we don't want to eat that we don't really care, even though the next person wants to have some of that. And the things that I find on my God buffet are all the great and good things. Things like love and mercy and joy and happiness and 
purpose. <laughs> purpose. We pass over the things that we don't like to eat, like a big old ladle full of our deep sense of our own sin. Yeah. Put about four of those on my plate, and I don't like that at all. And I don't like anybody talking about it either. We don't want to hear about holiness and righteousness even as it relates to our own life. We want, to, we want to determine what's holy and right for us. But we see in the scriptures that we have a God who is. And the God who is is a very different God than the God that we want to reshape in our lives. And many of us think we have to understand it in order to obey it. Let me, let me say something to you that I said to one of my young friends that's sitting in this audience today. And it's this. This is our theology. It's what we understand about God in our lives. We believe that in order to obey, we've got to understand. We've boxed it in. In order for us to do it, we've got to understand it. Many of us have a real engineer kind of an understanding of theology and life. If we get all these things in a row, we understand this right. If I understand, you know, all the issues that have to do with, with, with why I shouldn't have sex or why I shouldn't practice homosexuality or why this or why that, if I can understand all of these things, then I'm going to obey. And what you see in the scriptures is you see that this, this theology being inverted. So these words change. This goes up here. This goes down there. So it would actually be obedience precedes understanding. Moses, when God came to Moses, and he says, I want you to be my deliverer. By the way, a prefigure. Moses, remember this. I want you to connect these dots. Moses was a prefigure, a foreshadow of our real deliverer, who was what? Christ. So Moses comes along and God uses him. He, he, wreck, he, he wrecks the whole plan that, the Lord, that Moses has, which was just, I just want to have some real gorgeous women and sheep and just build a family out in the desert and let me do my thing. And God says, well, that's not at all what you're going to do. You're going to come and you're going to say, let my people go. You're going to be the leader of Israel. You can, you know, like, like, you know, jello's going to part for you and clouds in the sky and all kinds of unbelievable things are going to happen. And, and Moses says, well, what do you mean? I don't even know what you're, you're talking about. How, what do I say, he says. He says, what do I say? Exactly what we would do. What do I say? And God says, you just say, I am. What do you mean? I, like, I am. No, no, God says, you say, I am. I'm God. I'll, I'll take care of it. You just obey and you'll understand a little later. Many times you're understanding later on, you're under, you're tw you know, if you want 20-20, which many of us want, many times 20 doesn't, 20 doesn't come until after you've obeyed. Oh, no, oh, you, don't you get those? That, that epiphany? Oh, oh. I, okay. Now I think I got it a little bit about maybe what the Lord, Lord was maybe doing there. The God who is. Now, 
let me take you to the God of wrath. Many of us were raised with the kind of theology that says that um, there's the uh, kind of the bad, uh, bad Charlton Heston God of the Old Testament. He's the bad God. He's mad. He's bad and he's mad of the Old Testament. He killed people. He was angry with everybody. And then there's the good God of the Old Testament, Jesus, who walks around with a bathrobe. He, he talks way like, the tone is like way down here. It's not way up here like, you know, the Old Testament God is, I tell you, right? And Jesus is, hey, let me tell you something, dude. You know, it's, it's kind of like that. Jesus is good. And then, and then, you know, we've kind of put him in a ring together. And the good God of the New Testament beats the bad God of the Old. And, well, that's not necessarily the case. Colossians, Paul is saying here in verse 6 that our God is a God of wrath. And what in the world does wrath mean? And I want you to know today, as I finish up with you, I want you to know that wrath and holiness are deeply connected with the Lord. The wrath of God basically describes God's holy anger against sin. God's wrath means that he intensely hates all sin. He hates it so much that he is going to bring a final judgment against those who are in sin. And when you look there at verse 6, Paul says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. What he's speaking to is God's wrath is going to be poured out for all of those who do not know Christ at the end of time. God's wrath will be poured out on them and they will be sent to hell. What a popular doctrine to talk about. Definitely isn't a popular doctrine that we a lot of times do like to talk about, but the fact of the matter is, is that God's wrath is coming, and it's coming because from the beginning of time in Adam and Eve's sin, we have such a holy and perfect and justice-centered, righteous Lord that he hates sin. He's revulsed by it. And his wrath is coming. But the one, th one of the connections that I want you to make is in God's holiness and righteousness, God loves all that is right and good. He loves all the things that conform to his moral character. And it should not surprise us that he would hate everything that is opposed to his, to his moral character at all. In fact, it is perfectly appropriate that a holy and righteous God would be moved to anger against evil. Have you ever sat down in front of the television and saw something so revulsive that you were absolutely furious and wanted to get on a plane flight to go remedy the situation? Or wanted to go confront somebody about the evil that you see? If that has to do with human trafficking or fill in the blank. God is our righteous God who is moved to anger against, e against evil. And the thing that I want to ask you today is if you were to look and you were to look at God as a judge, which we do, there's a lot of judicial terminology used in the scriptures. A good judge who has no distaste for evil would not be a good judge at all. He is the only one who really understands the Lord is the destructive and dehumanizing power of sin. And I want you to understand that. And this is one of the th concepts that I tried to get you, to, I tried to talk with you about a few weeks ago, which was this. God understands sin like 
the, the only way I could give you the mathematical number would be just, just multiply like whatever, the infinity billion number that he understands the effect of sin more than you do. He, he understands how sin kills our soul, dehumanizes us, separates us from each other, separates us from the cross, and how it literally devastates our lives. He understands it. It's one of the reasons why he has put these things in place in the scriptures for us to understand. Because he knows the effect that sin has on our lives. Many of you sitting in front of me today are, what should I say, are living consequences of the terrible effects of sinful choices that you've made in your life. And many of you, as a result of those things, are filled with shame even today, even though you may be in Christ. And Christ says you don't have to be in shame, but you're still dealing with the scars of those things, whatever that may be. But he does understand it, and we need to trust him more in his understanding of evil and sin, and we need to stop saying, we don't have to trust your view of it, I'll trust my view of it. I'm gonna trust my view of sex over God's view of sex. I wanna do what I'm gonna do because I understand that it's okay. I understand, maybe some of you could say, it's okay that I could be involved in pornography. Pornography doesn't hurt anyone. Well, God talks a lot about the sins of the flesh. He speaks very clearly about lust. He knows that the sins of the flesh will destroy our very soul, brothers. He knows more than we do. I've talked to you about that. We might say, God is, but my God today, Joel, just want you to know, my God is a God of love, 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 and grace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. He's not a God of wrath. He is a God of wrath. The Bible says that he is a God of wrath. He hates sin. He hates sin for those people who are outside of Christ, and he's revulsed by our sin as well. It's not a popular subject for me to preach on. So hold on with me, please. The God of love is revealed in Scripture is also the God of wrath. He's angry with sin. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of justice and righteousness. And remember that we don't take the attributes that we love and then throw out the, one, throw out the ones that we don't love. He has holy intentions for his people. And this is where it gets to us. He's serious about his intentions for his people. When my dad took me aside in the conversation after the night in the driveway and he was speaking to me in the room the next day, what my dad was trying to talk with me about is he had holy intentions for his son. So the identity issue is connected with the intention issue. I'm his son. He has holy intentions on me, and he's free to be able to speak those intentions to me. And by the way, he had an expectation for me, and the expectation would be that the next Friday night I wouldn't do the same thing. And he was serious about it. And God's serious about it. And I'll close you off by reading a scripture, and I don't have time to read the whole thing. But the beginning of, uh, of Romans 1, 
In verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. This is another way that God's wrath is revealed even today against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then he basically goes on this litany of people who have suppressed the truth. And he talks here quite a lot about what was happening in Rome with people who were committing sexual acts and he talks about the sexually immoral. And he goes on to list this in verse 28. And he says this in 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind. It's one of the ways that God's wrath is being lived out even today, is that God has given over the people that are outside of Christ to a debased mind where they actually suppress the truth and have walked away from the Lord. And it says this, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. And they are gossips and slanderers and haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's a fire and brimstone sermon. I'll try to stay away from that if I can. But the, the main thing that I wanted us to get today is this. The idea of holiness is basically the separation in our lives from sin and evil and the devotion to God's grace. And the question that I have for me today is that do I live a separated life unto the Lord? Do you? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the place set apart for evil or from, from the evil and sin of the world. And inside this tabernacle was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was the place most separated from evil and sin. And also in the Old Testament, you see God calling people out of Egypt. And he says to them, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And when you look at the Old Testament and through the New Testament, what Jesus is trying to say, you begin to put this picture together that he has intentions. The Lord has intentions to create a kingdom of people who live very separately from evil and sin and separate and now live as a holy nation. And the question that I had to ask ourselves today, and I asked you a few weeks ago, because in verse, in verse uh, what, of five of, of Colossians, Paul says, put to death these things. Sexual immorality walks down the list. And I began to think about this this week. Put to death these things. In order to put something to death, you have to hate it. Do you get, you get it? In order for me to kill something, to kill my sin, with which God gives me the Spirit's power to do, I've got to hate it. And hating it is differently than befriending it. Right? Like, for instance, I, I befriend my slander. My gossip is my friend. I don't hate it. In fact, guys, I'm not even close to hating it. It's something that I cajole. It's something that I actually don't hate. It's something I feed. I literally feed it to bring it life. And 
And when Paul here in Romans walks down this list of people and about all these things that he talks about, I began, I began to ask myself this question. I want you to answer the question. Think about this. Do we hate our covetousness? Do we hate it? Do we hate our unrighteousness? Do we hate our evil? Do we hate our malice? You know what malice is? It's hatred. It's spite. It's meanness. It's cruelty. It's the antonym of kindness. Do we hate our envy and our deceit? Do we hate our gossip and our slandering? Do we hate our insolence? Insolence meaning rude, audacious, and disrespectful. Do we hate it? Do we hate our haughtiness? Meaning proud, arrogant, self-importance. It's hard, isn't it? Do we hate our boasting and our disobedience and our foolishness? And as you hear me, you're probably even hearing this tone of like the seriousness that I had to actually begin to ask myself the question and actually try to answer honestly, do I really hate these things? Do I, if, if I really want to kill these things, do I really hate them? Do I hate them like God hates them? Am I revulsed by them? Are we? It's a good question for us to consider because God has these intentions for us as his people. And one of the reasons why he has is that when we begin to hate these things and kill these things, we actually begin to show to ourselves and to the world of brothers and sisters around us and to the world, even outside of Christ, that there is a God who's alive and who lives and who's king, and he's king over me, right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, we know, uh, Lord, that uh, I know that I'm insolent. I know that there's many things in my life that um, I don't think are any big deal. I know that I look at many of the things in my life like we're listed even on, in here in Romans for, for those who don't know you. I know that many times even in Christ for me and my brothers and sisters here today, we can tend to let these things kind of bleed into our Christian existence. And I kind of, I know that I would have to confess a complete kind of cavalier sense about, about the things that I think, well, that's a little sin or that's a medium sin. And I, I, we all face that, Lord. I, we need your help. Because I know that you have these intentions for us to, to be like you, to be a holy people. And I, I, I just thank you that we got to talk about this today, even though it was difficult for us. We just thank you for being a God of, of grace and mercy and a God who deeply cares for his children. And we thank you for being a God who has a standard and is a God of justice and righteousness and of God of right and wrong, and of God of absolute. And so uh, help us to open up our hands and heart to that message today. We thank you in your name, amen.